Wonderful to be with you this morning. And wonderful to be in Houghton. And Houghton's weather did not disappoint me one bit. (laughs) Somehow my phone doesn't quite keep up with what's going on in Houghton. And it even said Houghton. But it wasn't quite where it was. I don't like to wear a coat. And so I thought, oh, if it's going to be 40, I don't need to wear a coat. Well, I saw something about 40 someplace along the line. But I said the last minute, you know what, I better wear a coat. I am sure glad I did. <laughs> My phone is totally off. And, uh, but it's wonderful to be with you. I also want to thank the missions committee at Paul Shea and the missions committee for all that they have done and their wonderful hospitality. Uh, and I have a colleague with me who just arrived last night, and I'd like for him to stand in the back, uh, Reverend Dan Irvine. Uh, some of you may know him. Dan served for well over 18 years in Haiti, uh, and he has now joined the staff of World Hope, and we're delighted to have him with us. Uh, I think he spoke to, at another group, and um, we're going to be looking at some things in the future with you regarding some other p- possibilities in Haiti, and so I want him to meet, be here, and then he's also going to meet with Michael Ritter this afternoon, the new professor at Houghton, and so we're delighted with that. Also, I'm delighted. Oh, where'd he go? The pastor. Wes, Odin, and Cindy, wonderful to be with them. Now, I didn't say this in the other services, but you've got to know. You know I'm old. So, um, Wes's dad, I had an enormous crush on him when I was in the sixth grade. (laughs) He was a little older than I was. He was one of these older guys, you know. And in those days, my parents held revival meetings, and when you went to hold a revival meeting, you stayed at the pastor's house for two or three weeks. I happened to be with them on this one, and his, it was Wes's grandparents, yeah. They're pastoring in Ashland, Kentucky, and Bill was there at home. And Bill, oh my goodness, he was, he was, little, he was old, he was a high school boy. I was in the sixth grade. And I remember he wrote in my autograph book, If you get to heaven before I do, punch a hole and pull me through. <laughs> And I remember when I read that, I thought, why, I think he likes me, you know, when you're in the sixth grade. (laughs) We've had a lot of laughs about that, and Joyce and Bill have been wonderful friends all these years. And so it's great to be with you, Wes and Cindy, and and the great heritage that you bring, uh, and the great ministry that you've had here. Well, as you heard the scripture this morning, you saw that text, you read the first six verses, but I want to pull out one text out of that first chapter in Colossians, chapter 6, that one text that says, all over the world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit. I want to encourage you this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ is bearing fruit and is growing all over the world. We hear about too many things that uh, are saying, coming up against us, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, God is opening doors, and we need to know where God is opening doors. And I want to encourage you this morning that God is alive. And as we sang in one of the songs this morning, which I loved all the songs that that were selected this morning, we sang about how God is at work and he reigns in this world. And I want you to know that he still reigns in this world. And the interesting thing is he's called us to reign right along with him. Uh, and so when I look at the book of Colossians, I, and just a little bit of a context for this, is that this, this was written, of course, to the people who lived in the city of Colossae. I've been to Colossae. It is now a wheat field. There's nothing there. But it was a vibrant city at one time. And Paul had sent someone else to go and plant that church, and Paul's writing to keep them encouraged. 
Paul had heard a little bit of their discouragement, and he wanted to encourage them. Uh, and he even says, and if you read the book of Colossians, this is short chapters, you will find the highest language of the supremacy of Christ, who Christ really is. And that one text that I love so much, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. In, that, in those three words, he takes us back to Pentecost and says that the Holy Spirit, Christ is in you. Now, I want to tell you, when you look at that, and I have a whole sermon on that. I won't get into that right now. You don't want me to. But um, just briefly, when you take a look at that, all through the Old Testament, God thundered out of heaven. God spoke. God spoke. When Jesus came up out of the water of his baptism, God spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All the time that Jesus is speaking, God is speaking through Jesus. But then Jesus go, is ascended, resurrect, is re- resurrected and ascended. And then the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts. And it's here where the Holy Spirit comes into each and every one of us. And God says, okay, no longer am I going to thunder out of heaven. I've chosen to speak to this world through you. Through me, through you. What an awesome responsibility and a great opportunity, phenomenal opportunity God has chosen to do. Now, I want to tell you, if I'd have been God, I would have never done it that way. Because I would have never trusted you. And I probably wouldn't have trusted me either, I'll tell you. But God has trusted us with the great message of his love to live it out. The great message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that all over the world belong to this body of believers, this kingdom of God, all over the world. We don't have any boundaries. We don't have any prejudice here. We have no boundaries whatsoever. We belong to this great body around the world. And there's no other institution that can say that. The institution that God created the church to speak to this world through. And so he's chosen you. And isn't, can't you just celebrate how wonderful it is to be in this great body of believers, this great church around the world, and God is doing great work. So I want to encourage you this morning on what God is doing. A few years ago, the World Economic Forum, now you heard something about that in January. Every January, the most wealthy and most powerful people meet in Davos, Switzerland, in January, and they talk about things of the world, and they make policies that most of us don't even know is going to happen until we end up living them out at some place along the line. And uh, by the way, uh, they there are generally 2,500 people that come in, and 2,000 come in their private jets. Just that gives you a little picture of what that group looks like. Well, a few years ago, they did a study, and in this study, they found out that by 2050, 90% of the world would be religious. Ninety percent of the world would be religious. You can you can find those. They've even got graphs and everything. You can find it on the uh, on their website. And uh, on that, in that, they determined that my, if ninety percent of the world is religious, then maybe we should put together a council on faith. Now they have a lot of councils that feed into their agenda that they're going to talk about in January. And these councils generally meet in November in Dubai or Abu Dhabi or someplace. And these councils, so they have councils on oceans. Council, I mean, there are many, many councils on all kinds of things. And experts from all over the world are on these councils. So they decided they needed to put together a council on faith. If 90% of the world is going to be religious, we need to figure out what all this means. And I want to say, when I first saw that, uh, that, um, uh, di- uh, that uh, chart... I thought it was really interesting. They still had, by 2050, Christianity is still the largest religion. But I thought when I looked at that, 
the algorithms that they've used to make to do this, those are not God's algorithms. God has chosen us. There's a there's a God vacuum in every human being created because we're all created in the image of God. There's that vacuum, and that vacuum is about Jesus. And that vacuum is coming to God in, in these ways. So why couldn't it be Christianity totally 90%? Does, it, it can be. God's calling. It's what we've just sung this morning for the Lord to do those kinds of things. But any, So anyway, they decided we need a council on faith. And so I happened to be chosen to be on one, the council on faith. I was highly honored, and it was wonderful to be with this group of people. And so I was in Dubai at this particular meeting. We've been in several meetings. And this one in Dubai, then on top of that, they decided to introduce to us the fourth industrial revolution. We are now in the fourth industrial revolution. We're experiencing it. We can, you see it exactly. I mean, what what do we just see regarding Facebook recently? And oh my, and all these uh, Zuckerbergs testifying before Congress and all the things that are going on, that the industrial revolution is moving faster than ethics can keep up with. These things move and move and move, and it's the fastest revolution we've ever seen. And uh, and it, it and they talk about the slow fish, the fast fish eating up the slow fish as far as corporations are concerned, all of this kind of thing. And no time for ethics, and suddenly ethics keep coming coming up and saying, oh, we should do this, we shouldn't do this, etc. And so one of the things that is is a result of the uh, industrial fourth industrial revolution is there is no value for human beings, ultimately. Human beings are less and less valued in this whole process. Well, those of us in the faith council, as we listened to this, I must say, I was thinking, oh my, this is pretty depressing. And they said, now what will happen is people will move into their own tribal, into their own tribes. Nativism will take over, all this kind of thing. And they will just be separated and there will be no community kind of thing or anything else. We went back to our little room where we're meeting, the Council on Faith, and Klaus Schwab, who's the founder, actually, from Germany, of the World Economic Forum, came into our small group, and he said, I know you all must be depressed. I have no idea what his faith is or anything else. But he said, I want you to know that faith will be the only safety net people will find. And when I listened to that, I thought, has God ever opened up an opportunity and a challenge for us in this day as never before? The church of Jesus Christ to be the only safety net people can find. We don't want to be isolated out. We want to be out there welcoming people, welcoming people, and be the safety net that it needs to be. So we people talk about the good old days. Those aren't the good old days. These are the best days, my friends. God is opening doors for us in ways that we can't begin to imagine. And I'm praying that we keep listening and keep open to what those doors are. So, as I look at this text this morning, all over the world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit. These are great opportunities that we have before us. And God's calling us his people. But one of the... One of the groups of people we hear much about and we have been told to fear deeply and greatly is that of Islam and Muslims. And I want to tell you that Jesus loves Muslims just like he loves us. And Jesus is reaching out all the time. And God is at work in the Muslim world such as we have never seen. In fact, just a brief one, I 
because immediately when we hear Muslim, we think immediately of extremists and ISIS people and all that kind of thing. That's a very small group. God is at work in this large Muslim world calling people. But I even read recently, and it, it, the article is even in the New York Times about an ISIS person, how he came to Jesus. And the, the uh, witness that has been, God can reach all folks. No, there is no person, no person too difficult for our Lord. But I want to talk a bit about how God is reaching in the Muslim world. There was in, um, in the UK, a study was done a few years ago and regarding the millions of Muslims coming to Christ. And in this study, they found 75% are coming through visions and dreams. God reveals himself. You know, God does not need a visa to get to Iran. Uh, there are no boundaries. God can break through the subconscious, and he speaks to people. And so... Uh, I, Paul Eshelman, the founder of the Jesus film, was sharing, I was in some meetings with him, and was sharing that when they did their first, when they first, they kept wanting to do a venue in the Middle East to show the Jesus film, a venue in the Middle East, and they kept praying and praying, and God finally opened up a wonderful door. And he said that night, as there was much prayer that went into that, about 10 minutes into the Jesus film, suddenly... Ten men stood in different places throughout that entire auditorium. And all of them said at the same time, that's him. He came to my room last night. And every one of them had experienced the same thing. Their room filled with light. And there stood Jesus. That night, that entire auditorium became believers in Jesus. I could give you story after story of how God is moving in these ways. Now, that's hard for us rational Westerners to grasp. But, you know, God moves, and we have the word. We can read the word. He doesn't have to break through and those kinds of things. But he, we, we have the word, but he is doing this throughout the world. I was in Azerbaijan, literally, at this time last year. And I was in a, uh, one of the Bible studies in a cell, a cell group. And the woman who was leading the cell group was a medical doctor. And I was curious as to how she became a believer. And so I said, how did, how did this happen? How did you become a believer? She said, oh, I've, you know, many, many generations. I've known nothing but Islam. But she said, I heard about Jesus. And I began to study a bit. But I couldn't bring myself to move right over until I had this experience. And she was at a medical convention in Vienna. And while she was at that medical convention, she left the meetings, and then she said she got lost and lost her way totally, could not find how to get back to the hotel, did not know the language. And she said, I was sitting on a, on a bench there, and I started to cry because I didn't know it was getting evening and cold. And she said, this person came right up beside me and started speaking my language. Now, Azerbaijani is not a popular language. And she said, he, he began to speak my language, and she said, I told him what I needed, uh, and he hailed a cab, and he spoke, uh, he explained, and I, he said he told the cab driver because he could speak German as well, and he spoke to the cab driver where I needed to go and spoke back to me. And she said, and I picked up my bag and turned to say thank you, and he was gone. And she said, God sent an angel because he could not have escaped. I would have seen him. He could not have escaped that fast. Now, I know that's hard for us with Western rationality to grasp that, but I want to say that we, we serve a God. Of miracles. You know, in, in the 15th chapter of Romans, Jesus, or, uh, Paul talks about how Christ accomplishes his work. He says he accomplishes it through word and deed, but he also says he accomplishes it through signs and wonders, through miracles. 
And we have to accept that God does the miraculous as well. And so as I look at at the Muslim world and I see all that God is doing, and it continues to do. And then the most interesting thing has been my opportunity the last few years. A few years ago, I had a call from a university in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, they said, we have been having conversations with um, religious leaders in, in Iran. You know, we, 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 we don't have a very, U.S. doesn't have quite a very good relationship with Iran, as you well know. And so he said, one day we were sitting and we were discussing um, how can we have, how can we talk with people from Iran? And they said, well, what would happen if we had religious leaders talking to religious leaders? Okay. So he said, we've been doing this, and we've been trying this, and we're getting ready to have a meeting in Lausanne, Switzerland. We can't bring them to the States, and so into Lausanne. And so we wondered if you would be able to participate in this. And I said, well, sure, what do you have in mind? Well, this is what we want you to do, Joanne. We want you to talk about how Wesleyans, now just catch that, Shia Muslim, Wesleyans. That's a long, long gap there. How Wesleyans believe and practice the words of Jesus in caring for the least of these. Well, we certainly practice that, and that's the, you know, the heart of our Wesleyan theology in much of what we do. And I said, are you sure you want Wesleyan? I mean, just Christian, don't you want? No, I want you to talk about Wesleyan. Now, these are folks who I didn't even know he even knew how to spell Wesleyan. He may not. Most people don't. Um, but uh, anyway, he said, no, I want you to talk about Wesleyan. Okay. I said, well, can I talk about the Holy Spirit? Sure. Can I talk about that God speaks to us? Sure. Whatever you believe, that's what we want you to talk about. Now, who is my audience? These are ayatollahs, Muslim scholars, and imams. Interesting. Okay, you told me to do this. That's what I'm going to do. So I flew to Lausanne and, had, and met. And I wrote a paper. I'm speaking extemporaneous as I am today. I want to at least sound a little academic. And so I wrote a paper and read a paper. And I talked about, I gave a story of, of the first time that it really, I w- it was the Kairos moment when I really understood, understood Jesus' words, loving your neighbor as yourself. And I gave that story. It happened to me in Ethiopia on a, in the middle of a, a feeding camp. I told that story. I talked about the Holy Spirit. I talked about the, the passage in Leviticus that talks about where in the law, loving your neighbor as yourself, which, by the way, there were Jewish scholars in that room as well, and they later told me that some Jewish scholars interpret that in Leviticus as loving your neighbor as your equal, which I think is, adds another dimension to this. And then I talked about uh, uh, what, how Jesus talked about and what Jesus meant by uh, the least of these, and uh, talked about John Wesley, and I talked about the Wesleyan Church, and what we did, and abolition, and et cetera, et cetera. And I talked about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit comes in and moves us. When I finished, one of the Ayatollahs came up to me, and he said, I can't exactly describe this, but he said, I thought I was going to cry while you were talking. Now, my friends, this is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Christ in you. The work that we do, we do, but there's an added dimension and that's the power of God that works in us and we can't we don't make that happen only God does we talk about that in world hope we talk about the triple bottom line 
it's certainly your finances and how lives are, are changed and life is better, but how are lives and communities transformed? The triple bottom line. What does God do that we can't begin to know? It's the triple bottom line. And so, uh, <clears throat> actually, you'll find this interesting. At the end of that time, the, uh, the, we were, the Americans were at one table and the Iranians at another table, and so the leader of this group said, well, Joanna, if we could ever get visas for these people... Uh, could they come and visit some of your Wesleyan churches? Immediately, I thought of this church. This would be a safe place for Ayatollahs to attend. I think, I hope. (laughs) But I see you as a welcoming congregation. I see you as a welcoming community. Now, immediately, I also thought about places I didn't want them to go. (laughs) But I thought about you, and I thought, yes, this would be a great place. I thought, what an opportunity. Now, this visas can't come at this point. So now, so then last year I get a call. I mean, this year. I was with, with these same folks in August in Geneva this time. And you know what they want me to talk about again this time? I want you to talk about trust building. What happened in England? How did John Wesley do all of that? Now, I want to tell you, these Shia Ayatollahs, Shia Muslim Ayatollahs, are going to know more about John Wesley than most Wesleyans when this is over. And it has become a real interest in this. And I still stay, obviously I'm in touch with them. One of the Ayatollahs sent me an email wishing me a Merry Christmas a few weeks ago. I don't know what God's going to do with this relationship. And I don't know, but I just want you to know, all I know is that God's at work. All over this world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit. Open Doors tells us that in Iran, there are more people coming to Christ that they no longer can count. This reminds me of the book of Acts, when finally they could no longer count how many people were coming to Christ. And then, I want us to look at another part of our world, and that is the atheistic countries. Vietnam being one, and Carolyn Miller, and certain, John and Carolyn Miller know more about Vietnam than most of us will ever know. But we were discussing the other day, the other night, that it is still like the seventh or eighth on the list of persecution of Christians. They are in touch with Christians that are persecuted. But last year, I received an invitation from the prime minister of Vietnam to come with another group. I was, was with a group of folks. And would we please come? They're looking at religious freedom and how Vietnam could become a country that practices religious freedom. Now, that means all religions. That means you're all, you have the right to practice your religion. And they wanted us to present on how Christianity can build a strong society. It was kind of funny. They said, uh, now, you, when you get to Vietnam, uh, you need to be dressed up because you're going to be a guest of the government officials, and they're going to pick you up at the airport. I thought, 30 hours on a plane, <laughs> dressed up? You don't look good, and you certainly don't smell good. (laughs) What in the world? But anyway, so I was there. And so we, it was all, it was very formal. We started the discussion. I I was about Jesus, the, the principles of Jesus, and how Jesus teaches us to live. Talked about love and love, and loving your enemy. Praying for your enemy. This is what Jesus teaches. And so I, 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 I went through all of that in the paper that I gave. 
They, the, the principles of Jesus. How, how does that build a strong society? How does that build an ethic? How does that build a, a value system? But the leader of the, our group decided there was one man that he wanted him just to give his story. So this young man then gave his story. His story is this. He was from East Los Angeles. Parents were drug addicts. He was uh, from Mexico. He was a Mexican and was in a gang, a Mexican gang. Those Mexican gangs in East L.A. are not uh, friendly folks. And they murdered a man, and he got a life sentence in prison. He tells that he went to prison. While in prison, a few weeks after he was in prison, the chaplain came to visit him. And the chaplain told him about Jesus. Now, he said this right there in the meetings with the prime minister the leading government officials of Vietnam. And he said, I had never heard of Jesus, but I was so compelled, I became a follower of Jesus. And he said, something happened to me inside. I can't describe it, he said, but something happened to me and made me suddenly see life in a different way, like my eyes were opened. He said, I found out they had a high school. I'd only been to the ninth grade, dropped out at the ninth grade. So I asked if I could go to high school, and they said, yes, you can go to high school. So I went to high school. Then he said, I finished high school, and he said, I found out there was a college in the prison. He thought, well, I'm here the rest of my life. Might as well go to college. So I went to college, finished college. Now, he doesn't say exactly why this happened. He won't brag on himself in any way. But somehow, in that prison... Who he was got the attention of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was then the governor of California. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of prisoners in California, and how this one stood out, I have no idea. Arnold Schwarzenegger came to visit him. And after he visited with him, he granted him a pardon. He'd served 16 years. He left that prison... The first place he went was to a free Methodist church in Los Angeles. And he went to that church, and the pastor soon realized, this, there's something different about this young man and all that he's done. So he worked with him for several months, and he said, I want to ask you, what would happen if I gave you some people and you went to the armpit of Long Beach? Now, that does not sound like a real up-and-coming place, the armpit of Long Beach, California. He said, if I sent you to the armpit of Long Beach and asked you to plant a new church, would you do that? He said, I would love to do that. And so he did. And he has, and I'm still in touch with him. We were just together last April. Still in touch with him. He has since planted three more churches out of that church in the armpit of Long Beach. Literally, a revival is taking place in that whole region of Long Beach, California. Well, when he finished... We're sitting there, and you could always ask questions after our presentations. So this one man asked a question about the chaplain. Thought that chaplain idea? That's a good idea. That chaplain can change. He, he missed the Jesus part in the chaplain. He saw that as a position. But if a chaplain could be that good, maybe we ought to have more chaplains in our Vietnamese prisons. But then the leading intellectual was sitting right across the table from me, and he started shuffling his feet. And then he made the, there was a sense of God in that room. And I was just thinking, God's presence in this room. 
But see, again, God has no boundaries. He's there. That leading intellectual shoveled his feet, and finally he said, This is the first time I have ever heard that religion could change a man's life. As I listened to that, I thought, in so many of these places, these are intellectual people, they see religion only as a philosophy. This was the first time he'd ever heard that the power of Jesus Christ can transform a life. How many around the world need to know that, need to hear that, the transformation that takes place. Later on that evening, we had a little party. Suddenly, the leader of our group, the Vietnamese leader of our group, said, I want everyone to know around here, I believe in God. Well, his colleagues, I could see their faces kind of funny. And then a few things later, he said, I believe in heaven. And then he said, not, not, folks, these are the people that ask us to come. These are the leading intellectuals there in Vietnam. He said, I don't know, wh- wh- can we have heaven on earth? And one of our leaders in our group began to talk how we could have heaven on earth. He said, I don't know, but I see God. Lion, he called me lion. Lion, I see God in you, he said. And I want to say, this is the power of God. All over the world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And he's choosing to do it through just simple folks like you, simple folks like me. He's just choosing to do it. And then finally, I want to thank you for your wonderful work in Egypt. I was in Egypt three years ago. I met with the pastors. We have around 40 churches there, and I met with the pastors to begin with. And um, one of the first things one of the pastors said, Joanne, you need to know that the Arab Spring broke our imagination of what God can do. Now, if you remember what happened at the Arab Spring, thousands and thousands and thousands of people killed in Tahir Square. The blood rolled in Tahir Square and all kinds of things that took place. And so I'm thinking their imagination broken because I'm going back to the Ephesians. You know, God can do all, whatever we ask, think, or imagine. So I'm worried a bit and I want to help their faith. Apparently my faith showed it, I don't know. But one of the pastors said, oh, no, Joanne, you need to understand what we mean by that. God broke our imagination. Since the Arab Spring, four million Muslims have come to Christ. God broke our imagination because it wasn't big enough. And then he went on to say, you know, we were hiding. We were scared. And there was a big, beautiful Presbyterian church on the, on Tahir, right on Tahir Square. And they were worried. And it was, a, it was a model building, an old building, prestigious building in the city. And it had beautiful stained glass windows. And when all the fighting took place, they began to board up all the windows. And they locked out the front. And they didn't want their beautiful building to be ruined in any way. And one day, God spoke to the pastor and said, This church is not a museum. It's a hospital. 
And he said, we went out and took down the wood. We didn't care if the windows were broken. We didn't care what was going to happen. Swung open those gates and that courtyard that was filled with beautiful flowers suddenly was rolling with blood. The beautiful carpets and the pews that were in the, in the place became beds for hospital, for sick and dying people to be blood all over the carpet. That church became literally a hospital and no one asked if they were Muslim or Christian. They welcomed it all because of the arms of Jesus welcoming every single suffering person in that church that began to become the turning point. I was there. Of course, everything's cleaned up now. I wanted to go to that church that night. They told me there's services every single night in this church. People are praying. There's a scripture read. There are some songs sung. But most of all, it's praying. I walked in on that Thursday night. It was packed. I could not find a seat. I finally could, if I'd have been a little smaller, I might have found another place. But I squeezed in on a back pew where people squeezed together to let me in. And this is happening. And we're not reading about this in the news. But there is a revival that's taking place throughout the entire country of Egypt that God is bringing his people. God is also softening the hearts of our people to love Muslims. Because when you've lived in a culture that, that is this way and you live separately, you realize you, 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 you don't. And so that is happening as well. And I happened to be with one of our folks uh, when during the Tahir Square, the rad, radical Islam groups began to burn Christian churches. They came to one of our churches. And guess who protected our church? The Muslims in that area formed a circle around our church and protected our church. This began to break down the barriers between the Muslims and the Christians in that particular community. And they took me over. They said, see, since this has happened, we are talking to each other. And our Wesleyan church put a community, a little tiny community center. They call it a community center. It's a little tiny room. And it has a slide in it and a swing, I think. And they said, and this is we're having Muslim and children, Muslim and Christian children open to come in to play here together. All over the world, this gospel is growing and bearing fruit. And I pray this morning, from what I learned from those great Egyptian leaders, that God will break your imagination. Because you see, I don't know about you, but my imagination, I'll take it so far, but that's only what I can do, you know? I'm afraid sometimes to imagine beyond what I can do. But you know what? If I imagine what I can do, then I get all the glory. If I imagine beyond what I can do, only to what God can do, God gets the glory. And that's what he wants to do with you, my friends. He wants to do with you per, uh, personally today, but he also wants to do with you, with the Houghton Wesleyan Church corporately, to break your imagination, be all that God wants to do. And he wants to do it in these days like we've never seen before. God bless you.